Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us here on Science Wednesdays. I am your host, Nathaniel Gersh, and I am here with political activist as well as social scientist Donna. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show, Donna. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. So uh, you have been doing a lot of work in reconstructing current and less current, more, uh, I would say, in the space of modern lyricism and how it reflects today's Yeah, it's definitely youth. modern. Mm -hmm. So in your essay, Not All That Glitters Is Gold, you kind of reflect on how All Star, the hit single by Smash Mouth, is somewhat of a reflection on the millennials' mindset about it being a more of a call to arms and how we weren't really promised the all-too-glorious future that we uh, we're told as children where we were able to attain anything that we were to want to go for. I was hoping you could maybe extrapolate a little bit on that. Right. I just want to clarify that it's more like that they, we were promised that millennials as a whole generation, mm -hmm. we were promised that all, uh, all of our dreams would come true if we just pursued them. And then what we see, especially crystallized in smash smash mouths um all star mm -hmm. is that all that glitters is gold that's what we were promised we were promised a bright shiny future and everything was going to fall under that umbrella and it does not it's it's not all gold uh, sometimes what glitters is just a piece of turd covered in glitter you know and then in your follow-up essay uh, titled "Fallout Boy," I sure am sad. Uh, you kind of note how the I first love that one. Yeah, it's a good good one. Uh, you note how the opening line of "Sugar, we're going down swinging" um, is uh, the the "Am I more than your bar? Am I more than you bargain for yet?" And you kind of spend some time reflecting on how just it is that we are not right quite able to to really handle the current uh, economical and. Uh, Socioeconomical, social, social, uh, social, social, socioeconomical, socioeconomical. Yeah. Yes, yes, um, mm. yes, uh, yes. The the socioeconomical um, 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 sort of uh, sort of uh, kind of climate we're all living in, as well as the reflections of climate change and how that's kind of affected the kind of stunted the growth of many many a millennial. Can you go ahead and extrapolate on that, please? Right. Well, it's really simple. It just comes all down to the word bargain there. Mm -hmm. mm, that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you care to go any further in detail? Well, am I more than you bargain for? That's how he opens the song. And this is a choice. And if you think about it, um, of course he is because they're broken up. And when you look mm. at society, mm. we've been told that we need to chase down a bargain and that, you know, a bargain is a good thing, but it also denotes something that's cheap and that's breakable and replaceable. And when we do that, we actually damage the environment when we spend our money on buying new things instead of taking care of the things that we have that we've already spent valuable, precious resources on. So it's it's really all about everything you said. I'm so glad you picked up on all the notes with the socioeconomic and the environmental impact and the millennials. It's all there. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Science Wednesdays. Uh, if you want to read more of Donna's work, uh, you can look forward to their upcoming book, uh, Simple Plan Solves Nothing. So uh, please keep an eye out for that and uh, be sure to stick around uh, after our uh, sponsored segment, uh, Beats. Well, that was Beats. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Brandon. My name is Donna. And this is The Bargain Den. It's your weekly source of financial advice in the form of us watching movies and telling you whether or not they're frugal. At least that's what you normally do, except for this is not just any regular old Bargain Den. This is a couple of special things. This is one. This is The Bargain Den. At night. night. Um, and this is also episode 199. Um, so we're going <gasps> to... Yeah, we're going to step away. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to have a dramatic gasp. Gales. Um... So yeah, we're, we'll we'll be stepping away from the bargain then at night next week. We have a very special episode lined up for you. Um, so you know when you're listening to this, don't be taken aback by it or anything. Just really be ready for it when it's not the bargain then at night part mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's part four. Uh, yeah, next week would be part four. Uh huh. No, no, you're right. Part five. This is part four. Okay. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm the one who titles these dang episodes. Um, what did we watch this week, Donna? This week we watched, uh, we capped off the trilogy, the Unbreakable trilogy with Glass. It's a 2019 M. Night Shyamalan film starring James McAvoy, Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, Anya Taylor-Joy, and others. Sarah Paulson is also up in the mix this time uh so we're gonna be spoiling this film so if you haven't seen it uh we'll also definitely be talking about unbreakable and split as well to kind of cap all of this off so um kind of heads up on spoilers for all of those in the next 30 minutes or so so hang tight to it uh real quick let's jump through the plot of glass as best we can um obviously we're gonna spoil it I, i just said that Sometimes I think you say that you said it and you didn't. I said, no, I said we're going to be spoiling it as well as Unbreakable and Split. (laughs) (laughs) I know for a fact I did this time. I'm just always going to also say it. I guess. If I don't say spoiled it, you can bet that I'm going to be like, hey, we're going to spoil this movie. That's fair. So uh, do you want to kick things off talking about the plot or you want me to? I would love for you to. So Glass, again, this is following up directly, uh, I believe within six months or so of the events that took place in Split, where the Horde is now on the loose and is continuing to feed the beast, as it were, that lives inside Kevin Wendell Crumb. And we're also following Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, as he is trying to hunt down the beast. He is now somewhat known as the Overseer. He was kind of a vigilante in the town. I believe it was like New Jersey. I don't know. It's M. Night movie, so it's somewhere in the Northeast. And things are looking as though uh, David's going to be able to find the Horde. And with the help of his son who is now working in tandem with Bruce Willis's character. Uh, they both own a security, private security uh, shop. Shop, yeah, retail place. They sell uh, like security cameras and shit. Yeah. And uh, missing from their lives is now the mother, the wife, David Dunn's wife, uh, who we learn later in the film has passed away. And, um, 
So we we get to David Dunn finding the location of the Horde and rescuing the three captives that the Horde has held in place and is working to eventually devour. And uh, I think it was four this time. I think you're He's right. He's upping his ante. Up in the ante. Four of them. And David Dunn is able to release them, but not before a fight ensues. And they're both kind of perplexed at each other's unwillingness to break. <laughs> they're both kind of uh, impervious to many a uh, damage, so it be, so it were. So the four cheerleaders um, are able to get away while um, the overseer and the beast fight, but uh, they they end up taking the fight outside because nothing's really working. They've kind of both hit their breaking point. So um, when they do careen out the window and get up because they're both like superhuman, uh, everyone's out there waiting for them. Cops, uh, doctor, more cops. Specifically, uh, Sarah Paulson's character is out there waiting for them. And this is uh, Dr. Dr. Ellie Staple. Staple. And uh, Dr. Staple seems to know the identity of both David Dunn and of Kevin Wendell Crumb and takes them into custody into a uh, psychiatric hospital where she has been tasked with the difficult challenge of convincing those who believe they have superpowers that they do not, in fact, have superpowers. Also in custody there is Samuel L. Jackson's character, Elijah Price, uh, also known as Mr. Glass from the Unbreakable film. And the trio of these uh, do their best to kind of survive the onslaught of tests and psychological challenges that are put in front of them in this uh, institution. Uh, David Dunn's son comes to try and plead their case to get David Dunn out. Anya Taylor-Joy uh, returns wanting to speak to Kevin, seeing that there is probably some good in him. And Elijah's mom also comes and visits and tells her son that, you know, while he did wrong, she still believes in him. And yeah, Dr. Staples really doing everything she can and putting out some pretty good logical reasoning as to why these three do not actually have superpowers. Um, kind of, you know, more or less making sense of the fact that, you know, Kevin was able to survive those gunshot wounds because the uh, shotgun shells that were used were old and damp. So it would make sense. Those bars were just meant to hold animals that he bent and split. So, you know, and were also old and damp and yeah. And then, you know, David Dunn really doesn't have actually much proof that he's a superhero. Um, it just hasn't been hurt. Um, and that's, that's really all he's got. So they all start kind of questioning this, but the whole time Elijah has been kind of out of commission. Yeah. He's actually been in this place far longer than the other two who were just brought in. Um, and they've been having him heavily tranquilized, sedated, sedated. So he's pretty much just sitting in a chair in a vegetative state. Yeah, and it it's finally revealed that he's faking it. He's been switching out his pills. Um, he sneaks out and 
uh, switches out the sedative pills for like aspirin and he's just faking it so that he can, you know, start start doing things. He's really smart. Yeah, and so he teams up with the Horde to more or less make a superhero fight happen in the public eye and uh, makes both of them escape. And so in order to save everybody, David Dunn also escapes and a fight ensues in the courtyard of the asylum. And meanwhile, all of the friends and family figures are there because they had all come, I think, to plead the case again. Like it was it was supposed to be the last day or something that she had with them. I don't know, but they were all there. So they all witnessed uh, this incredible um, power fight. That is when it is revealed kind of at a climactic point that Mr. Glass was the one who actually killed Kevin's father. That kind of set out the event of traumatic experiences that led to uh, Kevin having multiple personality, the, uh, the disassociated identity disorder. Now, this was certainly not purposeful, but it was something that Mr. Glass knew going into this epic battle. Um, While they were all in the hospital together, he looked at all their files and discovered that um, what's-his-face Crumb Sr., the father, was one of the passengers in the train um, that Elijah Price caused to derail, which led to David Dunn discovering he was unbreakable. So... They both have the same origin in a way, except that Kevin took, you know, 20 years longer to get to his superpower, so to speak. So after finding that out, Kevin then uh, kills Mr. Glass, who dies very slowly. So he has some more scenes in the movie, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. deals a fatal blow to Mr. Glass, I will say. Then the fight continues with... David Dunn and Kevin. And then it is uh, uh, Casey, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, who kind of snaps Kevin out of it after he kind of disarms David Dunn. Uh, Snaps Kevin out of it, and then when they're having a kind of a personal moment, uh, then Kevin is shot in the chest by one of the SWAT team that has arrived. And then David Dunn is drowned by one of the SWAT team members there. And then as Elijah Price's final moments are there lying on the pavement, uh, Dr. Staple approaches and says, you should die knowing the truth. Uh, We are actually part of a organization to destroy any and all superhumans that exist because every time they show up, they all find each other and chaos ensues. So there is a secret society in place that more or less makes it so that superheroes can't exist. So you were right. Die knowing that you were right. Congratulations. Now, not all is in vain because Elijah actually had figured this out and wanted to, I don't know if he quite figured that out. He knew something was up. He wanted to expose the truth to the world. So he had rigged all of the cameras in place at the asylum to record everything that had happened, then sends that to their loved ones who then send it out to the world. And now the secret is out. 
They've proven that superheroes exist. The genie's out of the bottle. I bet there's a lot more superheroes now because everyone knows it's possible. What did you think of this movie? I enjoyed this movie. What did you think? I also did. I really did. I think it's going to hold a special place in my heart. I don't think it's going to crack one of my top favorite films. I don't think any of this trilogy will. But I I think that it is solid filmmaking, all three of these. Like it Mm. It is worth the journey. It is so much fun. And I think that I could probably chew on all three of these for years and years to come. Solid. 100% agree. Yeah. So do you think this was a good ending to this trilogy? Um, yes and no. So plot wise, I do like that ending. I like the ending of it getting out. It falls short a little bit just knowing how extremely ephemeral the internet world is, you know, like this is going to go into fashion and out of fashion before anyone can blink, which is an unfortunate reality, but um, it's still a nice twist and thought to it that Mr. Glass was right. This is just an origin story, you know, that is kind of a, a sad aspect. I think of a lot of modern films is that anytime it tries to relate anything to the internet or technology, it just becomes dated so quickly mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate because I, that we both shared that thought watching that scene as everybody was checking their phones. I was like, no, this would never happen like this. And it's sad to, to have that thought in a superhero movie. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, of course no, it wouldn't happen like this. It's not real, but it's just so socially impossible that mm-hmm. that's how the, the 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 brain worm of this would spread knowing how the internet works right or even if it did spread this way that it would have a lasting impact on everyone yeah not that a million people would go fake um <laughs> yeah this is so fake well photoshop yeah um that aside i will say like i said i liked the plot of the ending i liked the idea that mr glass was right and but he still had the upper hand and the family kind of did a fuck you and spread the video. But the, the, the scenes I didn't like, I didn't like the scenes. And I think that would also fix a little bit of the social thing we we're talking about. Like it wouldn't happen that way. Cause like the, the three loved ones, um, Casey and now oh, I got this Joseph and Mrs. Price, all meet up at like Grand Central Station. Um, he really, really likes the, the Northeast. Northeast. Yeah, yeah he does. Um, they all meet up at Grand Central Station because it's time. Like, I don't know, the embargo lifted on their n- news thing. I don't know. Um, and they have their coffee and they watch everyone's phones explode. And it was just not good acting. And it's not how it would have gone. And I just wish. I guess that that scene of an end would have been different. What about you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of get the feeling that this was somewhat of a bon voyage for this, this series of films. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, I think that that was, I mean, I don't know what else you could have done. Like there's not a way, like, yeah, I guess I would have just preferred a more subtle, like hit the button and then like, here we go. 
And then, poof, like, oh, who knows? Will people believe it? Will they not? Like, mm-hmm. it, it started to kind of dip into that same sense of how, you know, the final scene in Split just felt a little weird. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I really do kind of commend him, like, for trying to make a continuation of of films. Like, you and I talked at length about how that twist that, the, that Kevin's father died on the train was so good. I mean, I, it's been a long time. Like I, I loved sitting on the couch with you having that come up and both of us go <gasps> mm-hmm. and, like, hit each other in the arm and like, no way. I mean, it wasn't even all that big of a reveal and it really didn't, I mean, it, it changed the direction of the film, but it wasn't, it wasn't so out of left field. It just felt so right. It made a lot of things, little things make sense, but it didn't, it didn't like, domino effect everything that had happened before it it just kind of but it kind of did it just was a very good twist like a perfect reveal Mm -hmm. um because it fit perfectly like you said it wasn't out of left field but also i feel like brandon you and i are the type that we watch a movie and we're like ah i bet this happens or i bet this is the twist or so and so is the killer and usually we're right or close like we see it coming we get it this was what I what I so marveled about this <laughs> is that neither of us saw it coming at all. Like we knew that there was some piece of information about Kevin's dad that was discovered, but we had no idea what it was, even though everything was laid out for us in the previous movies, because we know that Kevin's dad got on a train and never came back. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we know <laughs> that this train, you know, collided and that they're in the same universe or not collided, crashed. And so it's like everything was there. And if you wanted to, you could have pieced it together without them ever revealing it. But I did not. <laughs> I love that. I love when it can fool me and it's like, yeah, no, you got me. Like it was there and it wasn't a cheap shot. Right. And and it just, I don't know. Like there, I, I've seen a lot of people not really enjoy this film. They really didn't like it as a follow up to split. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it it's, it, I mean, it it's what a swing for the fences to try and pull this all together. And I've also seen some like a little bit talk about how it, the build up to the end is not necessarily, for everybody. I mean, it is a, it is a deep dive on just looking at these characters, Mm, mm -hmm. which for me, even if I didn't like everything else in it, the fact that they gave the stage back to James McAvoy to do a, I mean, for me, I want, I was like, I in split, I was like, just give me more, give me more James. I want to see James do all of these. Yeah. I want to see all 23 fucking characters. Let him go. And they let him go in this and they let him go. in like, there's a really, really cool shot where, so to keep him in the room and so he doesn't break out as the beast, they have these bright lights set up that will flash and that causes another personality to come forward. And so there is one medical professional in there that, gets terrified and just starts flashing him over and over again. And it's a single take. I'm sure. I mean, the flash is probably a cut. I don't know, you know, like not going to, but it's disguised as a single take, um, that just kind of pans back and forth in this really kind of slow manner. 
and we get to watch James just go personality after personality. And I mean, that's worth it to me. But furthermore, I, I think it's, I think it's a really awesome take. Like I just read a review on Letterboxd. I'm not going to even, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give the person their name. That's not fair of me not to do that just cause everybody's opinions got stuff. You know, <laughs> Patrick Williams, um, gave it two and a half stars and says, has M night ever read a comic book? And I'm like, okay. Admittedly the like issue by issue comic books. I don't, I mean, I haven't, I'm not a huge purveyor of those. I don't know, but this, this did ring true of like a graphic novel to me. Like, mm. I could totally see this as, you know, you're reading it and it's just building up to this big fight at the end with the heavily colored set pieces, like the big pink room. Mm. I mean, and, and the, you know, the different kind of colorations of that are just hyper exaggerated in this asylum. Um, the pink room really stands out. There's a couple more. There's some less, not as many as the, the, the pink room is a big one. <laughs> Mm. Um, I have a side note on that when you're done with this point. Yeah. Just that, I mean, I don't know, like, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of like comic book tropes, but it also does. And it also is a story about, about comic books and questioning their importance and prevalence in the world. And I'm not trying to like too much go to bat for M night. Cause we're watching a bunch of his stuff and this has kind of been, I feel like a detoxification for myself in M night's work, but, um, or my opinion on M night's work, but yeah, this film has problems in, in, in some ways and it's not a perfect film by any, in, any, any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know. I just, I, I, I think it does. It set, it, it, it just exceeds, it succeeds in setting out. It succeeds in doing what it set out to do. Um, in my opinion. Hmm. So on the pink room, um, it's Anya Taylor joy. (laughs) Uh, so shortly before we watched glass, I was listening to an episode of Sawbones on Baker Miller pink, which I have to assume is what that room was because there's really no reason for a room and an asylum to be pink like that. Mm -hmm. Unless, Unless unless it's Baker Miller pink, which is a shade of paint that was designed based on the idea that it could calm emotions, Mm. which is super interesting to me because I don't know if that was like a purposeful um, inclusion or if that was a thing where they were using an old asylum that happened to have jumped on the bandwagon and made a Baker Miller pink room, Mm. you know? And that's really interesting to me, just like that piece of history's in there a little bit for a time when America believed that pink, for some reason, calmed you down. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah. I said it succeeds in everything it sets out. I don't know if it succeeds in everything, I should just to clarify. But I think it's successful in a lot of ways. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I just, it was a really good story. And I love that we got to spend more time with the characters. Um, and I I wanted to actually, one thing we talked about a little bit after you and I watched it, Brandon, was the, there was a cut scene as like a memory that almost definitely 
was from Unbreakable, like a deleted scene, which it had kid version of, I cannot, for the life of me remember <laughs> I'll, I'll get it pulled up while you're, David Dunn's son. Yeah, it was David Dunn and his son that was like, Joseph. there's no way they were not from the time they filmed Unbreakable. I don't know for certain, but what I do know for certain is there were instances where they used shots from, from Unbreakable. And mm -hmm. I have got to say that I don't know that I've seen a movie that is like a newer film, because that's the thing that's happened a lot here recently, where you know we get these reboots and remakes and sequels and follow-ups and stuff, and they'll interject old footage. And sometimes it is not done well at all. <laughs> sometimes it is done to a major disservice to the film. But whether that was a deleted scene or CGI, I don't know. Regardless. It was really dark. It was really so. dark. But I, I, I thought it was done very well. And then they also spliced back in a couple of scenes from the first one, specifically with Bruce Willis on the train. And that was great. It was okay. Because when they do the big reveal with uh, Kevin's dad was on the train, it it uses the same type of transition that was used originally in Unbreakable to begin where that movie began of him sitting. It's just so seamless. You're right, basically. They just spliced it in perfectly by like recreating the camera technique even to like uh, just really good. 10 out of 10. Very good. Highly recommend it. Um, well, I think that'll do it for us on this one. Again, episode 200 is going to be next week. So that'll be a different, it'll be a departure from, from this. It'll be night. a big celebration of the bargain den, not at night, just the regular old bargain den. OGTBD. <laughs> uh, do you want to go ahead and thank some people? Absolutely. First off, thank you so much for listening. And second off, uh, share it with a friend if you enjoy this. Third off... Um, thank you to Sarah Anastasia for our cover art that we use as our thumbnail. And I also want to thank the lounge kittens for the use of their cover of dirty deeds. And you can find, do we still have links in the episode descriptions? Yes. Beautiful. So if you're interested in more music or more artwork, follow those links in our episode description. If you're not reading the episode description, you're missing out because Brandon writes them and he's very, very funny. And I also want to thank Anchor.fm for hosting our podcast. And I want to thank our bargainer. Who's our bargainer, Brandon? It's going to be Jack3245. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for supporting our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast or trash us on the internet, uh, you can give us a review. Rate us and review us on iTunes Podcast, and then you'll be the new bargainer. I'd rather it's five stars, but no rules just right. You do you. It's Outback Steakhouse up in here. You can also leave us a review elsewhere. Just let us know. Send us an email at thebargaindencast at gmail.com or reach out to us on social medias at The Bargain Den. Let us know that you left a review so we can see it. And then uh, if you also wanted to, you could reach out to us on Anchor, leave us a voicemail or something. Do, you know, you don't have to leave us a voicemail saying you left the review, but that would be kind of funny too. <laughs> Read your review on the voicemail? Uh, you don't even have to do that. Just be like, hey guys, hey. I left your review here. And then we'll be like, oh, thank you. And then um, we'll have to go read it. And then it's kind of like you're making us do the things. Yeah. So I don't know. You can leave us voicemails. If you leave us a voicemail, unless it's something really bad, we'll 
very likely put you in the episode. So um, that's if you wanted to be a part of it. You can do it from your phone. Mm-hmm. If you just get the Anchor app, download it, find us on there, um, or if you bring it up on your computer. Um, there's lots of ways to do it. Anyway, that's just that's a fun Technology. thing. Technology. Technology. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week for a, like we've already said three times, not going to say it again, episode 200. Don't get too hyped because we don't have uh, a ton of, of stuff. We have a couple of things. Can you guess it? Tweet us. Yeah. If your you guess. Can, if you can guess it, we'll send you. Fun fact, I've dropped hints about this oh, in recent same, episodes. Same. So have I. So have I. All right. I did in this episode. So, so you guys can guess this. This will be just just as good as the twist in glass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Uh, my name is Brandon. My name is Donna. Bench those panties. And stay frugal. Bell peppers. Can't begin to populate their gardens unless they come clean about. All the dead horses. If you got a lady and you want her gone, but you ain't got the guts.